morning, good morning. Y'all good? <sighs> Y'all having a good week? Yes, sir. All right, elbow your neighbor. Say, service is not over. <laughs> it's not over yet. There's been so many good things going on in the world. Like, we hear about all the bad, but, man, there's a lot of really good things going on. Um, we'll probably talk about some of it here in just a little bit, but one of them, I, I, I love that Kanye West has given his heart to the Lord. How cool is that? <laughs> he, he's always had that humble demeanor, always, except for his one mistake where he publicly, whatever he did to Taylor Swift, yanked her off the stage, like, get off the stage. That was his one big, you know, negative thing in the public eye, but everything else, he's just been pretty humble, um, and, and and it's really cool to see it, it what God's doing, and <laughs> we'll, I'll talk more here in a minute, probably about some of that, but, and then I also heard Lamar Odom gave his heart to Jesus, which I don't know if you know who he is, but he was married to, is it Chloe? Kardashian, and he played for the Mavericks for a month, and uh, or maybe not even that long. He played for the Lakers. Uh, he bat battled addiction, like bad addiction, and um, just really had a rough life. And I heard this week that he radically got saved. I'm like, wow, look at this. Like, what is God doing? Like, there are people all over Hollywood being saved right now. We don't hear about a lot of it because they're afraid that when they speak up, they're going to be put on a list and never be put in a movie again. <laughs> but there's something going on, and I, I want to celebrate that. And, and I don't want to celebrate it. Let's just jump right into this. I don't care. I do care, but understand what I'm saying here. I don't care if famous people get saved because of all the people that will get saved because of them. Like, I, we've done this in the church for some reason. Man, if, if that person got saved, do you know how many people would come to Jesus because of their salvation? That is not right thinking. That's not kingdom thinking. That's, I'm happy for Kanye. I'm happy for him. I'm praying for him. I, want, I, I saw him on the airplane singing with this choir. Oh my gosh, we should just show that and have church. If you haven't seen it, go look it up. Kanye singing on an airplane with a gospel choir. I'm like, man, that I would give any amount of money to ride on that plane and sing with those people. That was beautiful. And uh, you see these things going on, and, and you're like, man, if, if, the, if all these people, could, this platform, so many people would get saved, and so many people would come to the Lord, I'm happy for him. And you see it as he's in this crowd with, there's probably 100, 150 on this plane. And he would get lost in a moment, like with God. You would see him just go away and shrink. Now he's the big man on the plane, right? And he would just disappear and have this moment with God. And at one point, he has a song called Jesus Walk. And the very last line of the song says, I need to talk to God, but I'm afraid to. That's like the very last line of the song. Well, as they're on this plane and <clears throat> singing, they sing that last line, and he says, I need to talk to God, and I'm not afraid. Like, something's happened, and you saw, as he said that line, he looked off, and I'm like, I'm so happy for that guy, because Jesus makes my life better, yeah. 
He's going to make Connie's life better. I don't care about all the other stuff. And, and when my first reaction to things like this and to this exact thing was, he needs to go away and just hide for like two years and not be public, not talk, and not, because he needs to get his doctrine straight. He needs to figure out some stuff because he might say something really stupid and people will hold it against him. He needs to go and get polished up first. And that's a religious spirit. Yeah. So if it was up to people like me to have that mindset, my first initial mindset is that Paul never would have preached the gospel. He would have been stuck Saul forever. That's so Saul. Yeah, don't trust him. His doctrine is a little squirrely right now. And I think even he and Peter got into arguments about some things. And I think Peter was on the wrong side of some of those arguments, right? It was a really weird time for this guy who was breathing out threats and killing Christians to overnight he's preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. A Jew. The best of all the Jews. Sat at the greatest teachers. He knew it. And if it was up to a religious spirit, we would say, hey, you need to go to Bible school and you need to get polished and know what you're talking about before you get into a public atmosphere now because God doesn't care about that stuff. He takes the woman at the well and saves the whole city immediately. She didn't know anything. She knew rejection and pain and suffering and, and a lifestyle that wasn't kingdom. And so... My first reaction to this was of a religious spirit. The other thing I talked about, about man, if so-and-so would get saved, if Lady Gaga would just get saved, do you know how many people would know Jesus because of her music? No, it's not about their platform. That's a political spirit. If we get more people or famous people or the elite people, more people will follow what they say because they're elite. Did you know that Jesus warned his disciples of those two spirits? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which was my first reaction, the religious attitude. And he also said, beware of the leaven of Herod, which was the political one. That says, if you get more power behind your voice, your voice is louder. And those two spirits are at war in the church right now. And so when you pray, pray for Kanye, because people are going to be pulling on him. People are going to be trying to steal his voice. And this is for him. This is not for other people. So those two spirits, those two leavens, we need to assess them in our life. Like Mandy and I had a long, loud discussion on that because I came from the religious spirit. And she was like, I don't care. Kanye got saved. <laughs> How cool is that? I'm like, but yeah, but we don't know. Is this the pub publicity thing? You go into all that stuff, right? Is this a pub like he's brilliant at selling records. I mean, what a great way to sell an album. Come out as Christian, make a Christian out. Like those are terrible thoughts. Those are horrible thoughts. Those are not kingdom thoughts. A kingdom thought is not skeptical of people. A kingdom thought would rather believe the best in someone and be proven wrong than to be skeptical of someone and never give them a chance. And there are three leavens. There's the kingdom, there's the political spirit, the political leaven, and then there's the religious spirit. And I want to talk about those today because they war at the kingdom. The, those two war with the kingdom that God said, how can I tell you about the kingdom? Like, what should I compare the kingdom to? And he says, it's like leaven. And you put a little bit in the dough, and it works through the whole lump. That's the kingdom. 
And so, Father, we just come to you now, and I ask that you would anoint me to say the things I need to say. I pray that you would give us wisdom and revelation that we may know you better. God, I pray that today that you would deal with the lordship of our hearts. I pray today, God, that you would uproot every religious spirit, every political spirit or piece of leaven that has sown itself into our thinking or into our heart, and we ask that you would replace it with the kingdom. God, I ask that there would be a spirit of conviction here. The Holy Spirit would come and he would convict us in our thinking that we would repent today, that we would be different people, that we would cheer everyone on, God. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a fourth influence that I want to add to this. So you've got the religious spirit, the political spirit, you've got the kingdom. And then you've got one called rebellion. Let's read Matthew chapter 7 real quick and we'll jump into this. I had most of this ready for last week and felt a, a shift. And I was so glad that I didn't speak this last week because then the Lord took me to school on some things this week. <laughs> I love that. So Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start with verse 13. Matthew 7, verse 13. Now, this is the end of Jesus' first public sermon. Call it the Sermon on the Mount, right? <coughs> verse 13, he says, enter by the what gate? gate. Everyone say narrow. narrow. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who will go that way. But narrow is the gate, and straight. Say narrow and straight is the way it leads to life. And there are few that find that or search for that. And then he says, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but are in inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. Come on, we gotta be alert, right? You will know them by their fruits. How will we know a false prophet or a false gospels being preached? The fruit from that gospel. Do men gather grapes from thorn, bru- thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears what kind of fruit? fruit? So if the root of the tree is holy, then the rest is holy, right? But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree, oh man, this is, yeah, we, like, we talk about the other side. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit, but listen to this. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. That's a promise too, right? nor a bad tree good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit, what happens to it? It's cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. And Jesus later is talking to them about how, he, how people can know if they're of, of his spirit or of his kingdom or not. And he says, everyone who gathers is of me. Like if you're gathering people together and bringing people close to my message and to the teachings that I'm telling, if people gather that, then they're not false. But if they scatter and if they cause divisions, the word scatter is scategori. It's the Greek word for, for categories. For those that put people in categories, those who break people apart into different sections and categories, that's not the spirit of Christ. That is the antichrist spirit. So let me say this today in the, in the world we live in, it, it's, they call it identity politics. And everyone's broken down into a category, into a category, into a category, into a category. That is the antichrist spirit. Well, 
I identify as this and I identify as that and I identify as this. No, it's, those are categories and that comes from the Antichrist. So he's telling them, you will know if it's my message by the fruit that it produces. And if you see this division, if you see that group and that group and that group, that's not of God. That's a bad message. But if it unifies people and says, no, we're all the same. We all have the same blood, the same breath of God inside of us. We're not, we all have different backgrounds, but that doesn't mean that we can't be together. Now listen to verse 21. This is not everyone, man, one of the most sobering few scriptures in the whole Bible. I think, honestly, for me, it might be the most frightening few verses that, that, in my opinion, in the Bible. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who what? Does the will of who? Whose will? Our will? Someone else's will? Father's will. Many will say to me, oh my gosh, many will say to me in that day, and he's talking about the day when we stand before him, give an account for our lives. Everybody, young people, old people, all the way through. We will all stand before God by ourselves and give an account for our lives. Every decision that we've made, the directions that we've gone, we will stand before God and give an account, and we will receive rewards for the obedience that we've, that we've sown through our life. And the things that aren't of him are going to be washed away. Come on. Hello? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Yeah. I mean, I prophesied. How can, how can I be bad? How can I have done wrong? I prophesied. We cast out demons in your name. How can I cast out a demon if, if there's something wrong in me, right? Jesus even said, how can, how can Satan cast out Satan? Yeah. But they're like, we, we prophesied and we cast out demons in your name. And we not only did that, we did many signs and wonders in your name. They're going to stand before God and make this case. Now, Kyle and I had a great talk this week about the scales of justice. And anytime I measure um, anything I do in my life, anytime I measure them in a scale, I am of the wrong spirit. Anytime I bring an argument for or against into the scales, I am of the wrong spirit because I am not the one who weighs the motives of people's hearts, not even my own. In the scale. I don't have the right to that scale. An example that, that we used was if we do uh, like 10 really good things, then, it, then we can say, well, I did all these other things. I, I deserve this one thing that may not be great. And we say, well, all of my good should outweigh this one thing. And what we're doing is we've taken scales and we're playing the part of God saying, I must be righteous because I've done this, this, and this. And that's not righteous. And they're going to stand up there and they'll be like, here's the scales, God. We prophesied in your name. They drop a rock on the scale. And we cast out demons in your name. They drop a rock on the scale. They, and we did many signs and wonders. Oh, and they probably, oh, remember when we did that thing? And they're dropping all these rocks on this scale. And God says, that is not the scale. I'm the, I'm the judge. I decide the motives of the heart. Only God does. That's why we say here often, it's not healthy, it's not good for us to go deep inside of our own heart and try to find good and bad there. We need to ask Holy Spirit to show us, because we don't even know what we're looking for. But we need Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. And then after they're doing all this weighing and all the things that we did, he's going to look at them and say, I never knew you. 
And then he's going to say, depart from me, you who practice rebellion or lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, they will be like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock and the rains come down and the floods come and the winds blow and beat against that house, but it will not fall because it was founded upon the rock. Who is the rock? Jesus Christ, the Lord. He is the rock, right? But whoever doesn't do these things is like a foolish man who hears them but doesn't do them. It's like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand and the same rains are going to come. I love that it's the same rain on the on the wise and the foolish. It's the same rain. It's the same floods. You can be okay in any situation in life if we choose to. The same rain, the same winds blew on both houses, right? Beat against the house. But the one on the sand fell flat and the house on the sand went splat, right? Remember from kids' church. So a wise person hears and does and obeys. A foolish person hears, but then makes their own decision to go their own way. What's the old song? You can go your own way. Is it the Eagles? I don't know, someone. We have that built into us, so we can go our own way. And Jesus calls those people foolish people. Foolish. It's foolish to go your own way. Now, when I was young, I thought it was foolish to just do what someone told me to do. I mean, it's, you're so weak to just do what someone tells you to do. It's so much better to just do it your own way, right? And as we get older, what if, what if we discovered it's actually safer to just do what people tell us to do? Hello? It's safer to submit to authority. It's safer to surrender to God's authority. It's safer to believe that actually I'm a fool and I need you, God. I have no wisdom in my own. It's safer to live that way than to live as a wise person who weighs our actions and our thoughts and our motives and our fruit in a scale before God and say, we're right because look at all this. It's actually wiser to say, I'm a dog, God. And anything that I have done good is only because of you. Any righteousness that has been sown in my life is because you're living in me. I couldn't have done this without you. That's actually the wise way to live. But there's this arrogance that boils up inside of man. It started in the garden, and it's rebellion. It's where Satan comes to Adam and Eve and says, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God, knowing what? Good from evil. And you can translate that. He was saying, in the moment that you eat of this fruit, you will be your own ruler. The moment that you choose to partake of this fruit, you now have made yourself the person who holds the scales of your life and you get to measure how good or how bad you are. You get to decide for yourself. That's why there's a whole generation of people that don't believe that there are moral absolutes. There's a whole generation, there's a whole school system built on the lack of absolutes. Two plus two doesn't even equal four anymore in the school system. As long as you can show how you came to your answer, it's okay. What that is teaching us, it's ingraining inside of us, we know better than God. We can stand next to God and decide for ourselves. And that is the opposite of lordship. That is the opposite of the kingdom. 
And that has been sown into us. It's been sown into the church. And we call it freedom. I'm free to do what I want. I'm free to go wherever I want to go. I'm free to say whatever. I'm free. I'm free. Freedom does not mean I get to do whatever I want. Hello? Especially in this modern age that we live in, freedom does not mean that I get to weigh in a scale what I get to do or don't do. Freedom means I get to choose to surrender to God's authority or not to. He gives me the freedom to choose. If I choose to surrender to his authority, I get all of these benefits. If I choose to be my own God, I'm on my own. I love when when he's talking about don't worry. He's like, how many of you can even add a day to your life? How many of you can make your hair grow? How many can make yourself taller? No, none of us can. There's, and that's an example of our complete dependence upon God. Freedom does not mean I get to make the rules and I get to be the boss of me. And that's really what the garden was about. It was about the desire that was birthed by believing the lie that God was withholding something from them. And they say, you know what? We want to be the boss too. Everybody wants to be the boss, right? Everybody wants to be a boss. I'm going to talk about church right now. You don't believe that everybody wants to be a boss? How many churches did you drive past today? All of us, like we started, well, we'll just start a church. I get to be the boss. Well, I don't like my boss at my company. I'll just go start my own company. I'm not saying that's always a bad thing, but it can be a bad thing. Because when we all have to be the boss, we're removing ourselves from the covering and the lordship of Christ. What did Jesus do? Philippians 2, verse 5 through 13. Philippians 2, 5 through 13. And Paul, whom wouldn't have even been preaching if it were up to guys like me, he would still be in Bible school. He would still be learning the whole new system, right? Paul said this to the church in Philippi, verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which Jesus had. Come on, have Jesus's attitude about everything. Although he existed in the form of God, listen to this next line, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. That is the exact opposite of the garden experience. Ooh, equality with God? Mm, Let me have that. You see the original sin in the garden was about that. I can be equal to God. I can know what God knows. I'm going to have some of that fruit. But when Jesus was presented with the same opportunity, remember when he was on the cross and when he was uh, tempted and then also later, but when he was being tempted by Satan, he's like, hey, if you'll worship me, if you'll bow down before me, if you'll do this, I'll get like all these things. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Do not test the Lord your God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And every time Satan tempted it, he had an answer from the word of God. When Jesus was presented with the chance to grasp equality with God, he didn't do it. 
And the Bible says that he didn't even consider it something to be thought about. He didn't consider it as something that was important or valuable to be attained and to fight for. And this got my attention because a, a couple of years ago, God, he does this sometimes. He'll make a statement to me and not really tell me why or what it means, or he'll get it stuck in my head on loop, and I just can't get it out of my head, right? And, and he said to me, Jared, all my promises are for you. They're yes and amen. They're right here. They're at hand. But you can't grab them from my hand. You, you can't even, even if I say here they are, you can't take hold of them. And I was like, okay, that sounds about right. You're saying it, it's got to be right. Until now I understand. He gave me the rest of it and he says, only when I release it to you can you have it. Like that's a surrender. There's a surrender. There, I'm not in control like, man, we want to talk about, I'm all for this. We've been singing that song, All Your Promises Are Yes and Amen. And I, I believe it. And we should point ourselves in the direction of the promises God's given us and go after them with all of our heart. But we should never think we can grab it before he gives it to us. He has to release them to us. And Jesus, when given the same exact opportunity as Adam and Eve, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And so he humbled himself. And it says he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a servant. He made himself a servant when he had every right to claim equality with God. He humbled himself. Every time they would, he would do something or they would say something, he was like, I only do what I hear my father or see my father do. I only say what I hear him say. Every chance that he had to take authority and to take glory upon himself, he said no and he humbled himself and he pointed it back to his father every single time. And Paul says, be like Jesus. Don't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Don't consider wisdom or gifts or talents or abilities or houses or name it to be something to be grabbed outside of the lordship of God. He humbled himself, became a servant. He looked like man. <clears throat> he humbled himself, became obedient even to the point of death on the cross. And for this reason... We want to be honored. We want to be glorified. We go through the humility that Christ went through. We've had a lot of discussions. My brother-in-law and I, we talk once a week at least. And a lot of it, we're assessing the pride that comes with ministry in us, in our own selves. We're assessing the, the pull to become a social media star in ministry. The pull to, to do all the things to promote and do all, all this stuff. And it, it's not appealing. It's just not appealing. Because this isn't my message. The Bible, the gospel, doesn't belong to us. We are stewards of a gospel that is Jesus Christ's gospel. It belongs to him. If anyone needs to be famous, he does. That's why I say I don't, I don't care about the platform or how many people get saved. No, Kanye got saved. The Bible says that there's more rejoicing when one soul... One soul matters so much that all of heaven rejoices for one. They don't think, oh, man, that one could mean thousands. They don't think that way. It's the one that matters. And he humbled himself and became obedient. And because of that, God exalted him. Y'all still with me? Come on. So lordship is the issue, right? 
There's a story of a rich young ruler. How many remember that? Rich young ruler. And he comes, this is in Matthew 19. If you want to read it on your own time, I'm going to summarize for time. But this rich young ruler came to Jesus and he says, teacher, he comes, it seems humility, right? Teacher, what good thing must I do to obtain eternal life? What works must I perform to be entitled to abundant life, eternal life, kingdom life? And Jesus says, there's only one who is good. And there he wasn't even talking about himself. He's talking about his father. There's no one good but my father. But if you wish to enter into life, keep his commandments. And the rich young ruler is processing. He's like, oh, right, that's great advice. Keep his commandments. Give me a list. Now, I love how we, I do this, maybe all of us do this, but like, God, if you just give me a list of a couple of things, I'll do it. Anyone ever felt that way before or said it? They had one rule in the garden and couldn't keep one. Only one. They could have done anything they wanted in the garden. They had no rules, just one rule. And we're like, oh, God, if you'll just give me a list of rules, I'll keep them. No, we won't. We won't because we think that we know better. He's like, tell me the rules. I'll follow them. Which ones? And Jesus is like, ah, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's like, all right. He probably started patting himself on the back immediately. He's like, man, I've done all these things since I was little. I'm good. He starts weighing in the scale. See, we know if we're surrendered to God and and that Jesus is Lord, whether we bring the scales out or not. And he brings the scales out. He's like, man, I've done all these since I was young. Lots of rocks on the scale for me. And he says, am I still lacking? And then here's the real question, right? Here's the real problem. And Jesus goes, okay, if you want to be completely sold out, go and sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and then you will have treasures in heaven, and then come follow me. And all the air in his balloon went away. Was gone. That was not the answer he wanted. Because it was about lordship. See, he was rich, and he was young, and he was a ruler. He could get anything he wanted. He didn't need anyone else to give him permission or to buy something for him or to open doors of favor for him. He could do all that on his own. And so he'd been living his whole life as Lord, rich young ruler. He could do whatever he wanted. And Jesus said, okay, if you really want to be my disciple, you can't be the Lord anymore of your life. You can't be the ruler. You have to give all your stuff that's made you a ruler and give it away and let me become your ruler. And the Bible says that he went away grieving because of all the property and the possessions that he had. And then the disciples kind of misunderstood this. And they're like, oh, great. If a rich person can't get into heaven, who can get into heaven? That political spirit, man, you start weighing stuff out. And Jesus said to them, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say it was impossible, but he said it is hard. And so then the disciples said, well, who can be saved? And Jesus said, with men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, I want to close with paralleling the story of Zacchaeus. How many remember Zacchaeus? 
not the wee little man who climbed in the tree. He invited Jesus to, he was a tax collector. No one liked him. He worked for the IRS, right? Insert political jokes here. He worked for the IRS. They were corrupt. Not only did they take taxes from people, but they often would would excise other taxes for themselves and put it in their pocket. And they would steal from people. They would rob people blind. And so he was a tax collector. No one liked him. And Jesus is going to go eat at his house, which made everyone angry. They're like, why is Jesus eating with this guy? Do they not know who he is? Jesus should be like slapping him. Jesus should be preaching him the gospel, right? Something should happen. But Jesus goes and just hangs out with Zacchaeus. Goes and has dinner with him. Doesn't address his theft. Doesn't address how he's, how he's taken money from widows and single moms and how he's ruined people's lives financially. Doesn't even bring it up. Just spends time with Zacchaeus. And then Zacchaeus is coming to him and says, I want to be saved. I want to follow you. And Zacchaeus, out of his own heart, decides, I'm going to give back everything I stole. I'm going to give two, three, I think he says up to four times what I stole from people. I'm going to pay it back. And I can't help but think it's because the issue of lordship had been settled in his heart just by sitting at a table and eating with Jesus. By being brought near, see, instead of scattered, the disciples were like, scatter. Zacchaeus can eat way over there. He can't come near us. He'll be trying to take out of our till, right? Instead of scattering Zacchaeus, the Christ message was to bring him near and to go into his home and to show him honor. And by Jesus doing that, the issue of lordship in Zacchaeus' heart was settled and he did the righteous thing and repented. Jesus didn't tell him to give the money back. Jesus didn't tell him how much to give back. Zacchaeus chose to out of surrender. And that's what lordship looks like. No one, no preacher, I don't care if they're the best preacher in the world or some guy in a room of 50 people, it doesn't matter. We cannot tell you how to make Jesus Lord of your life. We can give you points, we can give you messages, we can show you the direction, we can pull scripture out, but only you and your spirit knows the deepest part of your own heart. See, for some people in here, it would be one thing. And that one thing would settle the issue. For some people, it would be another thing. It would be a variety of things in the room. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Because it's not a list. Again, we can't keep the list. We won't keep the list. I don't care how few things are on the list. We're not going to be able to do it. But if we will make him Lord of our life, then we can obey all of the law. Did you hear that? When we make him Lord... We are now innocent of all the things. That's the kingdom. And the Lord wants to settle that issue today in our hearts. See, there is a resistance that comes from his laws. Amen? Hello? We're landing the plane, all right? There is a resistance that comes from the laws of God that is good for us. They're good for us. Like the boundaries of your yard are not just to keep people out you don't want in. If you got little kids, the boundaries of your yard are to keep your kids that you love in. So when God makes a law, it's not just to keep things out. It's to keep what's valuable inside. 
Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And the, the other word is they cast off restraints. What's the rest of it? But happy is he who what? Keeps the law. All right, come on. We got we to gotta memorize this. This is our memory verse for today. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraints. I'm the boss. I can do anything I want. No restraints. That's without vision. But happy is he who keeps the law. And that's really the most important part. Happy is he who submits to God. That's why it says submit to God. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. You're not strong enough to just resist the devil. You've got to have Jesus as the Lord standing up in your life. And so I don't know where you're all at today. I just saw in my own life with the stuff going on that I, I saw a religious spirit pop up inside of me. I was like, ooh, I thought I wasn't religious. And I didn't like it. And my wife called me out on it, and she didn't even know why she was calling me out on it. Probably maybe she did. I don't know. But I didn't like it. And I don't want to look at the world that way. And I don't want any system, whether it's political, religious, or rebellion inside of me, warring with, with the authority of Christ in my life. Why don't you stand? <clears throat> Happy is he who keeps the law. Come on. Meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he says, I have food that you don't even know about. The disciples were confused. They look at each other like, oh, man, we didn't bring food. We didn't bring bread. And he's like, no, my food, this is John 4, 31 through 34, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his desires, his will. So if it worked for Jesus... He is our example, then it has to work for us. So we're going to do things differently today, all right? I'm closing service now, but I want you to settle the issue. If it's not settled, settle it right now. Where Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, don't pull out the scales and try to decide if it's settled or not. I think we all should make an altar right now and let him pull out the scales. You can kneel where you're at. You can come here to the front. No, we're not going to come back up in the mic. It's, it's done. But we need to spend this time with the Lord right now and make sure that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life. When service is over, if you want prayer, someone will meet you here at the front for other things. And uh, we love you. We bless you. But settle the issue of lordship right now. Amen.